Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast, presented by the Holy Grail Banks, here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. We've got a, a decent amount of stuff to get through today. We'll, we'll, let's see if we can stretch this one for an hour. I think I'll be impressed if we do. I always say that, and then it's always, we get to an hour, and it's like, all right, we got to cut this off. But just a reminder before we get started, if you're headed out this weekend, you're going to be down at the banks. Make sure you stop by the Holy Grail Banks, get some lunch, get some dinner, get some beer, watch the Pro Bowl. I know that's what everybody does on this weekend. <laughs> yeah. watch, some, watch some college basketball. There's going to be a lot of that going on, although no Bearcats this weekend as the team has six days off before they are back at it on Tuesday night at home. SMU, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, SMU. But a good time to stop by and visit our friends and our title sponsor here of the BCJ podcast at the Holy Grail Banks. They will take good care of you. Tell them I sent you. Probably charge you double. So, last night, rather uneventful night in Philly, in a place where games usually make you want to gouge out your eyes, the Bearcats won a shootout. 89-82 over the Temple Owls. Temple played their best offensive game of the season. Probably their worst defensive game of the season. It was uh, It was like opposite day. <laughs> if you were watching yeah. that game. Uh, but ultimately, Jaron Cumberland comes to life in the second half. 21 of his 22 points in the second half. Six assists. Trey Scott plays very well. 16, 11, five assists. And ultimately, as we start to creep towards February, offensively, now that, and this will be probably the, overarching topic throughout this podcast is is the move of Jaron Cumberland to point guard full-time, which we learned about on Sunday, uh, was in full effect on Wednesday. They played two games with Jaron Cumberland as their full-time point guard. They scored 82 against ECU. They scored 89 against Temple. They've been well over their goal of 1.07 points per possession offensively in both of those games. Um, and ultimately feels like in a lot of ways we're starting to get our first consistent look over 40 minutes uh, in a couple games in a row what John Brandon basketball looks like it's very aesthetically pleasing uh, defensively they left a lot to be desired at Temple we'll get to that a little bit some of that was just a team that doesn't shoot well was eight of nine from three at half which there's not a lot you can do about that other than try to keep up, which they managed to keep up. And Dave, we'll start here. If I would have told you Temple was eight of nine from three, scored 40 points, and Jaron Cumberland had one point, what would your guess on the halftime score have been? Like 40 to 26. Yeah, that's exactly what uh, I, I said when I, I was talking to, to Berg a little bit earlier today. And that's pretty much exactly 40 to 26. Chris Vogt carried them through. Uh, somehow they managed to get to the half with a 41-40 lead. They saw Temple go up 5-6 a couple times in the second half, but then they answered. Javen Cumberland gets hot, hits three threes in a row, and then Jaron was just an absolute monster down the stretch. And you've been, I don't want to say cynical, but you've been... Um, been critical. I mean, You've been uh, cautious and, and a little bit critical about this transition. What was your takeaway from last night? I thought last night was, I don't, probably still was the best offensive game they've played this year, you know, given the competition from the standpoint of, I thought they sustained it for by far the longest stretches that they had to date, like there had been games where they'd had a really nice flurry or even put together like a really nice five to eight minutes, but then you'd get a two to three minute lull, whether it was because of just some missed shots or subs or what have you. And I thought they 
carried that through much more consistently last night. Um, the only real offensive thing that, you know, I had even a tiny bit of issue with was the eight turnovers in the first half, which they cut in half in the second half. And that was really how they were able to kind of stay in it when Temple kept making shots for the first 10 minutes of the second half. But other than that, I mean, I didn't think they took a lot of bad shots. I thought they executed the game plan was clearly get the ball inside and they executed that well. I mean, I think we got, you know, you never know what you're going to get with the officials, but I actually thought they called a pretty good game I thought, overall. Like, they called a lot of fouls, but they were fouls. Yeah, I, I also and thought Cincinnati... I thought they kind of lost it a little bit towards the end where there were more than a couple of plays that, if we're being honest, like, we got the benefit yeah, of the call that maybe I... we had, had been getting in some other games, which I'm fine with, whatever. It evens out over a 30-game season. Um, But, you know, I thought offensively, my, you know, my my bigger, not issues, but just like what I would talk about more would be the defense in the first half. But offensively, like, we're starting to see, you know, I don't know if we can really get accustomed to being an 80-plus point team, because I think if you, if they're playing the defense that they want to play, even if they want to push the pace offensively, I don't think there's possessions necessarily. I mean, they they shot they, – they've scored 89 points. They shot 52% from the field and made 27 free throws. Like, how, how many more times is that going to happen? Right. But, I mean, if you're in the – if you're in the 70s with the way that we know that they can play defense, I think that's more than reasonable to, to expect and to still get wins out of. Yeah, I would also say I thought a huge part of the game plan, especially early, was beating the Temple defense down the floor. Because coming in, Temple was number 16 in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. They have not been very good this year, but most of their issues have been offense. Their defense yeah, has I mean, been pretty solid. Three Doug, of their six league games before last night, they hadn't scored more than 52 points. Right. I, I thought John Brandon's emphasis right away was beat them to the rim and score as much as you can before they get set. Dave, I don't know if you saw this. They had 30 fast break points last night. Yeah. When's the well, last time, my, when's the well, last time you remember Cincinnati having 30 fast break points? Well, I mean, the way that they played – the, you just didn't. It just that just didn't happen. Like you're not going to force that kind of turnovers in in the zone that they used to play, and it's just it's not 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 what happens there. But I thought, especially at the very very beginning, like you said, like the first three possessions, it was attack, 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 and they were up seven nothing. Right. Um, I also thought. I really like the way, uh, before we get into the individual stuff, I really like the way, so they, they established Chris Vote early and made Temple adjust what they were doing to defend Chris Vote. And then in the second half, Temple made that adjustment. They were guarding Chris with one and a half guys. If you saw any time the ball went into him in the second half, there was at least one and sometimes two people shaded towards him. And instead of forcing it, they sprayed, they found driving lanes, and then ultimately that freed up Javen Cumberland for some looks from three. I loved what I saw in terms of adjusting you know, the chess match. Instead of, this is what we're going to do and you can't take us out of it, it was, this is what we're going to do until you take it away, and then when you take it away, we're going to do this, and then when you try to take that away, we're going to do this. Last night was a night that not only was the, the game plan good, they just so happened to also make all of the shots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the execution of that. The, the run make, the yeah. shots offense worked well. Yeah. yeah and, and that's, I think, been, you know, that's been our thing. We've talked about how this team is consistently inconsistent. And if they could just, you know, like I said, I don't think anybody's going to expect 
this performance from last night to become the game in and game out norm. I think it's, it is probably repeatable, but not every night. I'm just wanting to see, like, don't have a 24-point half and then a 45-point half. Like, if they can just be have longer stretches of that where they still play the same defense that they've played in pretty much every league game, even the Memphis game. I mean, they only gave up 60. That wasn't the problem that night. Um, then, they, then they might, then they've got a chance. They've put, they've at least, like I was looking at the schedule, being five and two, getting through this first seven games. I don't want to call it the easy part, but it was kind of like the setup part, the easier part. And, you know, we we'd prefer to be six and one, obviously, but five and two isn't a death nail, you know. So now you kind of know. Okay, Jaron is rounding into form at the at the point. You know, we have these next. You know, if we're going to group them that way, we have these next five games that, are, that I've kind of said are, in my opinion, they're going to decide the season. Um, and three are at home, two on the road. Like, we feel like we're kind of taking that next step, and let's let's see what happens. Because from a night-to-night basis in this league, you have we have no idea what's going to happen. Absolutely. So, so just take – just play your ass off and take it game by game and, and see what happens. I mean, Tulsa's in first place. We beat them by 30 and they just turned around and beat Memphis by 40. Like no one, you have no idea. So just, just play your game and but see what happens. Let's talk about Jaron specifically. Look like, and I don't want to say it looked like he was trying to get people involved. In the first half, it looked like there was just really no opportunity for him to find a rhythm in the first half. Some of that being that they were looking to get the ball inside. So, you know, the guy out top with the ball isn't going to be the guy throwing the entry pass. That's a bad, bad angle, everything. Um, but then to see him turn it on, and I thought it was interesting. There was a couple times that they showed <clears throat> the sideline, like during a, a free throw or whatever, and you could see there was a very different conversation going on between Brandon and Jaron. <clears throat> it looked, <clears throat> excuse me, it looked very cerebral, and it looked like two guys that were on the same page. I don't know if you caught it or not, but but any thoughts on? No, I, that, I mean I was. Go ahead. I would. I mean, I didn't catch that type of thing just because I'm somewhat preoccupied during games right now (laughs) so um but i did notice and obviously more in the second half just because of the way that the game unfolded he seemed to and he did this against ecu too he kind of had that i mean we saw it a ton last year like even before he'd get to half court he was kind of already at like full speed and you could just tell like i'm going all the way to the rim and I think that's obviously what has been missing, you know, due to the several circumstances that we've talked ad nauseum about, but like he kind of, where he got that train nickname was I've already made up my mind. Like I can already tell that these guys aren't in position to either stop me from getting all the way to the basket or stop my pass to someone who's open. Like I think he hit Javen for corner three doing that one time. Um, but it just seems like he's much more into that mindset that he was in a lot last year where like, I know my spots and I'm going to get my, you know, my isolation at the elbow. I'm going to get my drives to the basket. I'm going to get my clear out. And yeah, it's just, it's just kind of starting to fall into place for him over the probably what the last, well, Three, four games. And and I would say what you're talking about is exactly what we were talking about ad nauseum as the main problem. He was not in shape to do those things. 
he he was not in physical condition to get by people. I, I said this with Mo today. Think back to the Xavier game, and I, you didn't really watch much of it, did you? Because I actually did not see one second of it. He struggled in that game to put the ball on the floor and get past Zach Fremantle like three or four times where he tried to turn the corner and a slow 6'10 center, 6'8 center, whatever, was able to stay step for step with him. And that was what we were talking about when saying he is not in the game condition because of not being healthy all summer and dealing with injuries and dealing with, you know, fighting against the system a little bit, fighting against change a little bit, whatever you want to call it, not seeing eye to eye with John, but all of those things were working against him. And for whatever reason, once they came back from that Christmas break, one, he had the athleticism starting to come back and you could see it in every game in conference play more and more each game. It's it, he's looking more and more like Jaron Cumberland. And that's what we were talking about the whole time as it wasn't just a matter of the off the court stuff. A lot of the off the court stuff was a direct reflection of the his inability to do stuff on the court, which left him frustrated because I think there was a part of Jaron because he's always just been good at basketball. I think there was a part of him that, that genuinely felt whatever. I'll be fine. Yeah. I, you know, I know I didn't, I, I didn't have the chance to practice most of the summer and, and I didn't get there most of the fall and I didn't really start practice until, you know, two weeks before the season, but I'm Jaron Cumberland and I'm going to be fine. Guess what? You weren't. He's not, he's not alone in that mentality either. No, I mean, that's, that's a star athlete's mentality. Until you get humbled a little bit and realize, guess what? I probably better get my ass in shape and be ready or else my senior season's going to stink. And I and I also, I'm telling you, man, I think there's a big difference now in the relationship between him and John because I think they've kind of, they've met in the middle. And that was the question. Could that happen? John made him his point guard. For John, that's like, you know, giving the keys to your 16-year-old for the first time. Maybe a bad analogy, but it's <laughs> it's 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 the ultimate sign of trust from him to give somebody that role. And I've never really talked about this before, but a lot through the summer and through the fall, I would get asked, "Where is this Jaron Cumberland? You told me was the star was a star." And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you about where he is right now, but I know he's in there. And you got to figure out a way to get it out. Well, it took a little longer than everybody wanted, I'm sure. But the two of them seem to be clicking very much right at the moment. I just think it's a realization from a new staff and to their team that, yes, we have a system, but our best player is at his best when he's controlling the game. And in that system, I think it's a good system for Jaron if he's running the point. I don't think it's a great system for him as an off-the-ball player. And I could be totally wrong in that. I just don't think the way that he plays and the way his game is styled is to play with, like, as off the ball, like, you know, running around, screening, hopping, doing all that, I think he just, his best game, and we've seen it with his assist numbers and with his increase in field goal percentage as he's gotten healthier and as the ball has been in his hand more, all of that stuff is going up. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a culmination of a lot of things. The thing that I think it, it maybe frustrated everybody inside the program the most was, I think ultimately the plan was to have Jaron at point guard right away. But he couldn't physically do it. And he wasn't mentally bought in. So John wasn't going to put him there right away. And that's the right move. Like if, if the guy's not ready to, to do it, you can't force it upon him. Right. But, yeah, I think, it, it, I think it's, 
it's good on John's part too to, you know, I think he's probably acquiesced a little bit off of what he would truly like to do, knowing that this might not be quote unquote, my system, the way I draw it up perfectly in my, you know, dreams of when I'm putting my roster together, but for the roster that I have this year for us to win, this is the way it's got to be, you know, and I think I'm sure a lot of coaches have a hard time doing that, especially in their first year when they're trying to introduce a new system and a new way of doing things to then kind of go, okay, yeah, you, you're our best player. And while you might not love or fit in exactly how I want to do things, we're not going to win with me just being like, nope, this is how it's going to go. And you're going to, play this spot and these are your responsibilities. I don't care if it's not, you know, using your talents to the best that we can. Yeah. I think where we've seen that maybe more than any other area. And and I think there was this, I don't think the belief was right that John isn't going to change anything in his system. There was some stuff he's not going to change. Like he's not going to walk it up the court to prevent turnovers. He's not going to milk, you know, 26 seconds off the shot clock in a, in a, in a attempt to bring their turnovers down. But what he has done is adjusted one. We're not seeing this team shoot a ton of threes because they're not good at it. And two, we've seen him change his philosophy in terms of offensive rebounding. I think primarily where generally in, in, in his style of basketball, Offensive rebounding isn't a major focus because you've got the floor spread and you've got guys can put the ball in the basket at a pretty high clip. So while you still want an offensive rebound, it's not you're not sending the numbers to the glass offensively because you're not missing 62 percent of your shots uh, on any given night. Right. And he has adjusted to that and he's talked about adjusting to that where, look, we're not a good shooting team. Guess what happens if you're not a good shooting team? You better get to the offensive glass. And he's adjusted to that. And last night they weren't great at it. I think they only had seven or nine second chance points. Um, but you're not going to have a ton in games where you shoot 53% from the floor or whatever. Um, yeah, but there has been adjustment. Growth. There has been adjustment. And I think it's a, an adjustment that has everybody kind of meeting in the middle. We'll get to Trey here in a second, but they're playing more to to what Trey does well. They're playing more to what Jaron does well. Keith has been able to take advantage of the lanes that open up because Chris Vogt is getting so much attention in the paint and Jaron's getting so much attention with the ball in his hands. Um, I, I do think we have seen a lot of adjustment and a lot of kind of give and take meet in the middle from all those guys, the holdover guys. And then John, you know, and, and and the new guys that have come in, starting to find a happy medium. And this is what we talked about from October, Dave. It was always going to be a matter of when it came together. We did not know. You don't, that's the thing with the new coach and a new system and seven new players. There's no date on the calendar that you X and say, all right, that's the day it's going to come together. But you watch and you see, like you talked about, when do those two-minute stretches become eight-minute stretches? When do those eight-minute stretches become a half? And when does that half become a game? And finally, January 23rd, we're starting to see more of those extended long stretches of playing like John wants this team to play, and that's that's the entire question. How long does it take until it comes together? What we're going to find out, though, Dave is it enough because this five games that's coming up, you've got what? You've got SMU at home. You've got Houston at home on the road to Wichita on the road at UConn and then back home for Memphis. Memphis. Yeah. Memphis. We're going to find out in these five, this five game stretch. If they're three and two, got a lot of work left to do to end the season. I don't think they can be any worse than four and one. I, 
I'm not playing that because there's 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 no telling. What if if they win out the rest of the way, and, and what games well, do they win? Do well, they win at Wichita? I'm saying that because they're. I don't think it matters which ones they win. I just think they like, they have to win four out of the five because they're the out taking UC out of the equation. They're the five best teams in the conference metric wise. So they're the there are five five chances to not only add wins, which they need, but I mean it's not a counting mechanism, but to actually win games that matter. So I, I'm, I'm not at a point where I'm going to say they have to go four and one. I think they can go three and two, but they would still leave themselves with a lot of work to do if they go three and two. They'd if have they to go be, three and two in the last seven. They basically have to go six and one. Yeah. It's much and more likely ten, over the last seven that they go. That's, that's still 10 losses. And if they don't win the conference tournament, then you're looking at 11 losses. And I, I just, I know everyone's going to say the bubble stinks. College basketball is no good this year. There's no dominant team, but I don't like I mean, 11 teams, losses. I don't like it either. We've seen teams with 13 and 14 losses getting in the tournament. So from the SEC and the big 10. Still, resumes are resumes. At, at, at 20 and 10 going into the tournament, this team would be on the bubble. I don't know where It'd on the bubble. Some, they might be on the opposite be, side of the bubble. But they might be, be on somewhere on it. <laughs> but I think this is this is your chance to... Like, if, this is your chance to either put it all on yourself and say, okay, say they go four and one. They're like, okay. Everything's in front of us now. If we do what we've been doing, then then we're going to be fine. Like being completely honest with it, if they go four and one, and that means that they're playing well, probably. I mean, they're probably not winning four out of those five games if you're playing if you don't play well. Right. right and so you're basically, playing. here's what you're saying, and this is where I get the four and one thing. Three of those games are at home. You have right. to win those games, and then you need right. to win one of the two on the road. Right. And that, I think that's fair. I'm just saying I'm not going to write them off if they're three and two as dead in the water. I'm, I'm not they... saying like oh, I'm not saying like the season's over. I'm just saying if you go three and two there, you still got quite a hill to climb. I agree right. with that. You go four and, you and one. Get... You got seven left, and you're probably in first. Oh, if you go four and one and you're nine and two, you're or nine and three, you're definitely in first. Well, I mean, you got to watch out for the juggernaut that is Tulsa right now. That's true. But yeah, I mean, if you go four and one, you're all of a sudden what sixteen and eight? Yeah, and nine and three in the conference with seven games left with. The hardest two one one of the, the hardest two games left would be Wichita at home and Houston on the road. I mean, if you if you split those, there's no loss. You're not really losing anything there. And then if you take care of business in the games that you're supposed to, I think you're fine. That's why I'm saying there's this big difference in four and one and three and two because three and two means you might have to get a game that you're not expected to, to keep yourself out of the double digit losses where they then start comparing. Oh, you lost the Bowling Green and Colgate. Like everybody has bad losses. It's on the bubble, but I feel like right or wrong, a team from the American that's on the bubble is not going to get the same look as like, the team from the Big Ten that goes nine and nine in conference, and you know they're going to go. Oh, look, they beat nine top eighty teams. I'm like, yeah, and they also lost to nine. You know, so they're very average. Well, yeah, but but I feel this, like that. This team wouldn't be able to go nine and nine in conference and and even be in a conversation. So no, no, I'm, I'm just saying that's who they'd be compared to. Yeah, and then they would get, go with that team more times than not. Let's talk about Trey Scott a little bit. I mean, it's not a surprise. 
I don't think. But ultimately, as as much as this team is going to rely on Jaron down the stretch, this team is going to go as Trey Scott takes them. I think a lot in a lot of ways. In that, I, was just, I mean, I've been thinking about that today. I mean, I know obviously Jaron is. We all understand what he is and the importance he has to this team. I think Trey is the most important player on the team. Well, I think we're getting to the point where you know what you're going to get from vote, which is going to generally be in that 13 to 15 point range. He'll have some big nights over teams that are smaller and that, that he can dominate at the rim. You're starting to feel comfortable with what you're going to get from Jaron. Now the next step is Trey being consistent and not being one or two games up, one or two games down. He's got to be that, that third double digit, almost, you know, double, double type guy every night. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is he, he's likely, unless it's a point guard, he's likely going to guard the other team's best player. And he's more times than not going to rebound. If he can be in, if he can even be in that, I don't want to say double figure because some games that just might not be where it's at. But I mean, if he can be in the eight to 14 range, they're going to be super tough to beat. And be he efficient just can't getting have, there. He can't, he can't get to eight by being two for 13. Like he was right. Memphis. Right. That's not going to work. No. Cause you can get to eight. If you got, if you take seven shots, but if you take 13 and you only make two of them and you make a couple free throws and you get to eight, that's not going to work. I concur. I agree. But his play is really going to tell kind of the tale of this season, which, you know what, it's it, it, over the years, those guys in their senior year that step up and, and make the biggest difference are the guys that a lot of times that have carried this team to 14 of the last 18 tournaments or 20 of the last 24 tournaments or whatever it is, um, the, the stretch that they're on, 20, what, 26 of 30? I think, because they missed four with Mick. They made 14 straight with Bob. They made nine with Mick, 13 of 29, or 23 of 29, whatever whatever it is. I'm terrible at math. They missed Andy's year. Yeah, so they missed five years. So 24 of 29 NCAA tournaments. It's it's oftentimes been that kind of glue guy senior that steps into his role – and really blossoms, and, and it, you know, obviously it's going to be on the back of Jaron. Like that, this isn't a surprise at all that this team is surging because Jaron Cumberland is playing well. But go look at Memphis. Trey Scott didn't play well, and this team really struggled to win that game, even with Jaron Cumberland being pretty good. So I think you're right. I think it, it, a lot of it is on him to take that next step and show the consistency they need from him. Right, because I think I still don't know if you can completely count on what you're going to get from Keith. So you're you're not going to be able to beat the better teams in the conference with just Jaron and vote unless Jaron like has a go off game. Well, right. I, I think the the point of this all, like with Keith, for it, it, in respect to Keith, if Jaron is your number one and Vote is your number two, and Trey becomes that consistent three, then Keith can be that wild card fourth guy, where there's going to be nights that he has eighteen points, and then all of a sudden you're really humming, but you're not going to be killed by the nights where he has nine. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But it's, sure. it, it, it's a lot of fun getting to this point now that, that we're talking about this team coming finally together. And it stinks that you've got three losses that you shouldn't have on your resume. And if you could go back in time and put this team that's on the floor now against those three opponents, you probably win all three of those games. I just but, hope, but you can't I, do that. That's no, not how it I works. Kind of, I kind of just hope that 
it's decided one way or the other, and we're not going. We're a brain fart against Colgate away from the tournament. Yeah, I know. Like, I keep thinking about that and being like, "That's going to decide the season, isn't it?" But hopefully, hopefully it doesn't. Like we said, you have no idea what to expect night to night in the league. The uh, the conference tournament is at a neutral site this year, so you know no one's really going to have an advantage in that regard. But there's a, there's a whole lot of ball still to be played. But I, I like the overall direction of of where we're headed. And for you, that's pretty big because you you weren't there. No, I mean I've. I just think that the offense has kind of taken that next step that like last night I thought the defense taking away Temple's ridiculous shooting, I thought the defense in the first half was wretched. Abysmal. Yeah, it was bad. Like no question. They didn't guard the post worth a damn and they didn't guard the ball worth a damn. And people are like, oh, their, their luck is going to run out because they're just making all these jumps because they're wide freaking open. Yeah. Well, they got dribble, because... penetra- dribble penetration, kick out, or post feed, move the ball, find the open guy. Like, they were stepping into a lot of those shots, for sure. Yeah. Oh, like all four of Alani Moore's? Yeah. Just walked right into all four of them. And that's the one guy that can really shoot. Right. He's 40% on the year. Yeah, some of the other guys shot out of there, you know what. But they're high-level college basketball players. If you just let them walk into jump shots, they're going to make them. So, right. my concern, and it's really only against a couple teams. It's against Memphis and it's against Houston. They can't guard the ball like that. Agreed. But, maybe that was just an aberration and they get it fixed and... You know, I do think some of that. I I will say I do think some of that as well. And this is just giving credit where credit's due. Quentin Rose is a really tough cover. Oh, for sure. He's six. He's a six-eight point guard, basically. That's why I don't want to say like that. That's why I don't want to say they were just lucky and they made a bunch of jump shots. No, that I mean, yes, they shot well above what they normally shoot, but give them credit like they ran really good offense and took advantage of the deficiencies that UC was was playing and when UC figured it out in the last 10 minutes of the game they couldn't score right so whether they were getting lucky or not their shots their shots weren't as clean as they were they you know weren't getting Baskets off turnovers, so you know that's that's my thing. Is I'm not like it seems kind of funny to say it. Like I think the offense is moving in in a very good direction, and will continue to do that with Jaron at the point. I'm more just like okay, let's you know let's guard against the better teams because you know that's when the offense probably won't do what we saw last night. It's just all got to come together. I mean, I'm, I think, I think it's, it's there and they're capable of doing it. I used to like just last night, the first half just kind of grossed me out from a defensive standpoint. And I swear to God that for a team that works out and lifts and is in as great shape as there, they sure just let the other team take the ball away from them a lot. Yeah, that's been, and I thought that some of that early was a couple really bad decisions on trying to feed when to feed the post. It, where one, they just threw the guy right in, threw the ball right into the defender's hands. All he did was raise his hands and just took it away. Like yeah. I worry about how much of that is. This genuinely isn't a great passing team, top to bottom. Now. I will say I thought they were as good as I can ever remember <clears throat> moving the ball up the floor via the pass yesterday. 
which is yeah. Weird. I mean, I'm I'm more talking like dude, just not like bad passes, but like just like almost just like taking it. Like, oh, this is this is ball up for grabs. It's mine. Yeah. Like, Trey like, had one the where half, they just took it from him. Yeah, Keith had at least one in the second half. I don't remember who it was, but they called a timeout, and we called timeout, and it was funny because Brent tweeted about you know the big possession. Wonder what coach is going to draw up, and we just handed it right to them. And yeah. I'm like, I guess he called the hand it to the other team play. <laughs> like literally, just like here you go. Like this pass is so bad, it's almost like I'm just giving you the ball. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Um, anything else you got on hoops? Uh, I'm gonna be, mm, maybe not necessarily. It's, Specifically, you stupid. I'm going to be interested to see how Memphis bounces back from a 40 point loss. I that's one of the most shocking results I've ever seen. 80 to like, 40. Like Tulsa's been playing well, especially at home. UC might be catching a break that they don't have to go there, especially after beating Tulsa by 31 here. It wasn't that close. No, it was 40 to seven at halftime. 47, 40 to 17. 40, yeah, 40 to 17. <laughs> at halftime. I, I forgot the team. 40 to 17 I mean, like, at halftime. Anytime Memphis would try to even like put like 5-0 run together, Tulsa would just put 10 spot right back on top of them. Like, yeah. so I'm interested to see. You know, they've already got they already got worked from a physicality standpoint at Wichita. They got their doors blown off just from. A, an overall standpoint at Tulsa, like what is that team with all those freshmen on the road? Yeah. The rest of the way. Like they, they needed to to basically shut out USF the last four minutes of the game to come back and win that on the, on the road. Right. So I'm just kind of interested to see how that goes the rest of the way. And like we've kind of talked about, we, we we wanted to say we think maybe UC is the best team in the conference still before the Memphis game, and they, you know, whatever happened happened. But I'm just kind of as this, you know, as we go over the next couple of weeks, like what shakes out? Do the top teams hold serve, or does somebody drop another unexpected one like Memphis did? And how does like? Because I I think the whole. The whole psyche, the whole landscape is very fragile. Fragile. Yeah. Um, like, just because you're playing well right now, I mean, I could – you're telling me you can't see Tulsa dropping two or three in a row? Oh, I expect them to drop two or three in a row. I mean, Frank Hayes is their coach, so. Right. But, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, one week and it could be totally flipped on its head. And that's where I like having guys like Jaron and Trey where you look at the top contenders of the other teams and they really don't have those type of guys on their roster this year. No, I agree. Just got a follow on Twitter from Jenny from the block. I'm just going to go ahead and assume it's Jennifer Lopez. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I mean, how could it not be? Duh. Um, yeah. Football official visit weekend this weekend. Two names are already out there. Wide receivers, Marquez Bell, Mike Petway. There's two defensive linemen visiting. We'll uh we'll have those names for you on Friday. Check them out at bearcatjournal.com. Also, if you're listening to this and you're not a bearcatjournal.com subscriber, uh starting at midnight tonight, Dave, we got it midnight tonight, midnight Going into Friday morning, we've got a deal. I haven't told you of this deal yet. No. A big one. It's a big one. How much How much off of an annual subscription do you want me to give in this deal? Well, how much is an annual subscription? Well, just give me a percentage. An annual subscription is like $107, something like that. 69%. No, but you're not far off. You're not far off. It's our biggest deal since, and probably uh, the the only deal that'll be even similar to our Black Friday deal. Sixty percent off an annual subscription. 
Wow. So basically, giving away, giving away content. And here's the kicker on this one. If you're a monthly subscriber, you're going to be able to upgrade. Whoa. So, so if you're a monthly subscriber and you're paying the $10 a month, that's 120 bucks a year. You're going to be able to upgrade and basically get Bearcat Journal for like $40 and some change. $40, Pretty good. Whatever it is. And that'll give you good. a full year of BearcatJournal.com. So keep an eye out. I will be tweeting it. Dave will be tweeting it from the Bearcat Journal account. All the other employees will be tweeting it. It runs this weekend. The offer will end. Uh, the 19th. Yeah. No. The 27th. Sorry. Deal ends at midnight, 127. New members, monthly upgrades. That's big time. And I know there's we, we've got a lot out there. Most of the people that listen to this podcast have already made the jump. They already took the plunge. They're BearcatJournal.com members. But there are some of you out there that haven't done it yet. And you're probably not going to get an opportunity like this until Black Friday next November. So I would take advantage if I were you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just Make saying. sure you... Subscribe, like the BCJ podcast on iTunes. Search BCJ podcast. It'll come up. It'll come right to your phone. As soon as we publish it, you don't have to sit around and wait to see when we post it on Twitter. You just, just get it. It's magic. It's magic. And Jenny from the block also just followed me, so you don't feel so great about yourself. I mean... What the heck? Maybe she thinks I run both. She probably thinks I run both accounts. She just followed me personally, David Simone. So oh. she clearly is in, into the New York, you know, Italian <laughs> lifestyle. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. But two defensive linemen coming in also. Maybe Wait, a wide um, Go ahead. Are you, are you sure about that part? Or is it? One defensive lineman. I sent you the names. One defensive back. One defensive back. Okay. <laughs> Two wide receivers, one defensive lineman, one defensive back. And then you have Chris Scott, William Anglin. Two kids that have already officially visited that are still primary targets as we head towards signing day. So, they're still quite a bit in play for this team as we we get towards the second Wednesday in February isn't that the second uh, Wednesday is it the second it's usually the first or the first Wednesday the, uh, first Wednesday in February shaky. yeah the fifth yeah the first, first Wednesday, Wednesday in February so there's still there will still be one visit weekend if next they so weekend desire. if they right I mean there's not a lot of spots if they take commitment from anybody that is still available and that could fill the spots. If they don't, I would not be surprised if they bring more guys in. Yeah. And it's interesting anymore. There's a, there's an interesting subset of guys that are going to be kind of risky in terms of academics. Will they sign with, you know, they've already, there's already a, a host of guys out there across the country that are committed to Power 5 schools that did not get the opportunity to sign on the early signing day. Yeah, there's usually a reason for that. Yes. Will they sign on the late signing day? Will Cincinnati be able to maybe take a chance on one or two of those guys and, and try to get them eligible? And we saw it twice last year. Uh, with with Savion Herring, who ended up at JUCO, Marcelo Mendiola, who ended up qualifying, those two guys didn't sign letters of intent because of their academics. So even if we get through signing day, I, it's not completely done yet. Um, so well, if any of these if any of these guys had 
I mean, it's 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 easier to say because if you're not a top top level guy, then they're just going to go. We'll find we'll just find somebody else. But I would advise right. guys to never never sign a letter of intent. But that's a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you either way, you are still taking a, a pretty healthy risk in terms of holding your spot if you're not a high end guy. Right. Right. So it's yeah, most guys. Most guys you see is still recruiting um, are gonna not gonna go that route. Right. Fair. Um, Josiah Deguara sounds he's like showing he's, out, man. He's been the best tight end at the Senior Bowl in a well, weak tight end draft. I, I would say he's been the best, second best, best tight end on his team. Yeah. Which is funny because the best tight end is at UD. Yeah. Well, we know you're a big UD guy, whatever. Um. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm messing with Sure. That. But, uh, yeah, I think Josiah's just going to – I mean, he's going to fight. He knows what he's up against. It's his size. There's not – It's been interesting, too. Of, he, he's gotten some looks at fullback. Yeah, because he needs to show some versatility. Um, there's just not a lot. I mean, you look at the NFL, there's not a lot of 6'2", 235, 240 tight ends running around. Right. So, you know, you gotta, you're going to have to give teams, show them that you can do more things because if you're going to be on a roster, on a 53-man roster, or even, you know, a 46-man active roster, He's going to have to play every special team. He's going to have to be versatile enough to play fullback, play tight end, pretty much do whatever the heck they want. Because a 6'2", 240-pound tight end isn't just going to play tight end. But the good news is I right think he's hand, capable of doing all those things. Yeah, I think he is too. And his per, you know, they're going to – all the cliches, they're going to love – he's off Jim Rat, and he's faster than you think and – you're gonna, they're gonna love him in the interviews. They actually are all true. Like, you know, they're things like. I mean, you'd be. I don't think people would be surprised, but like things like the chase down play in the UCLA game and the awareness to jump on the ball in the Marshall game are absolutely going to be talked about when it's splitting hairs. Like, do we right. draft this guy? Or do we think we can sign him as a free agent? And if we don't draft him, is someone else going to draft him? Because they're going to go in the sixth or seventh round, a guy with this type of awareness, this type of competitiveness, are we going to get that with someone else? And do we want to take the risk of not being able to sign him? Because if he's not drafted, he's going to have a, he's going to have every team probably trying to sign him for those reasons. Like he's He'll be a great practice squad guy. He'll be a great end of the roster type of guy. So that's why I think he ends up getting drafted is because someone doesn't want to take the chance that they don't get him. And they'll they'll be less inclined to worry about the size when you know he's when they see the tape and they've seen the stuff he's done this week. And I would hope he gets invited to the combine. And, you know, gets even more time with these teams. So, I mean, he's doing everything he needs to do. I mean, he totally shook Terrell Lewis from Alabama uh, yesterday in a pass drill. And Terrell Lewis is going to be one of the best defensive end slash stand-up outside linebackers in the draft. So... You know, it's he's done everything he needs to do to put himself in a, a great position moving forward. The other, the other big news uh, of the week and, and related to the uh, the the recruiting news, Malik Moj, 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 however you want to say it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, <laughs> Unless he comes back again, has gone in the transfer portal for the second time <laughs> in two years. Um, ultimately, 
you had to expect there was going to be some level of overhaul in that room. It, it, him leaving doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but ultimately, I, I, I think it's a situation where he wanted the ball more. And you've got Alec Pierce. You've got a good group of tight ends. You've got Trey Tucker. And you're a team that runs the ball. So, uh, I, I don't yeah, I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to just disparage the kid. He can do whatever the heck he wants, but like, you were gonna get the ball more, and you were gonna be a senior starter on a team that has. A you missed the. Good. You missed the first three games of the year, and your quarterback dealt with arm injuries and not as good of a season as we all had hoped. Like, everything was in line for you to get the ball more. So, and you were probably going to win another 10 to 11-ish games and possibly play for another conference championship. Right. So, I think they'll be just fine. Yeah. And there's clearly an emphasis on restructuring that wide receiver room. And I won't point fingers at kids. I will point a finger. You know, a lot of this is on. Um, no, who? Joker Phillips. <laughs> we've we've beaten that horse, I think. I think so too. But I'm beating it again. He did not do a good job structuring that room in his first two seasons here. Unlike if you look at every other position group on the roster, where there is depth, where there is talent, where there is competition. That one doesn't have it at the level that the other ones do. And they are looking to change that. And there was a chance that you were going to have a senior that was was poised to be the number two guy outside. He wanted something else. Hey, do your thing. Good luck. But it opens up another it opens up another spot. So yeah. Is what it is. Anything else? Uh, Ohio State lost again. Yeah, twelve and seven now after being eleven and one. That's a their only win is they Nebraska were the, at like home. the run. They were like the runaway number one team in the country three weeks ago. Yeah, and now they're like legitimately now on, on the, the bubble. bubble. Yeah. <laughs> what this season? Is I'm not just laughing. Wild. I'm not just laughing because it's them. Like. This is just one of the wildest years of college. Like, no, North Carolina stinks. Yep. Like, you got a team that was the runaway number one team in the country is now three weeks later on the bubble. Like, it's just, it's it's wild. I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just it's nothing that I've really, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this where you legitimately – don't have a clue a lot of the times what's going to happen. No question. It, <laughs> I'm going to hunker down for this UConn-Houston game here when we get done. Ooh, well, let's, hey, you have fun with that. Let's see how that plays <laughs> out. Remember, from Friday to what's the 27th? Monday? Friday sure. to Monday. Well, the 24th, 25th, 26th, 28th. <laughs> Friday to Monday. Go to BearcatJournal.com. If you're not a member, get 60% off. If you are a member, but you're a, a monthly member, go ahead, make the upgrade, become an annual member, and get it for 60% off as well. So everybody always, hey, when when are we gonna when are existing members gonna be offered a special? If you're a monthly member, now you're gonna be offered the special. If you're an annual member, you probably got in on one of these specials. Let's be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, I think every, I think all of our members now are probably at some point <laughs> on some on yeah. some sort of deal. <laughs> at some point, they got a, a, a deal. Maybe there's a couple guys that have been around a long time, and I'm sure they're going to let me know about it when they listen to the end of this podcast. But mm-hmm. we love you, and, and you're here because you love us. That's going to wrap it up. We'll see you next week, maybe Wednesday next week with the Tuesday game against SMU. Um, basketball season always kind of throws off the days. 
Yeah, we went three basketball games between podcasts. Yeah, I, well, the problem is I don't – I just – if we do a Tuesday night podcast about the game that's coming up on Wednesday, not as oh, many yeah. people get to listen and enjoy. So we'll do a Thursday one. This one we can last all the way through t- till Tuesday. Uh, we'll only have one game in between podcasts for next week. So he's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>